Ahoy Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. I am not joined by Chris this week, but I am joined by Maggie Wigan. Maggie is one of the regular hosts of A Pod of Their Own, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful show on our podcast network. And uh, they had the week off, and Chris has some stuff going on, so Maggie was kind enough to sit in with me tonight to talk. So, hello, Maggie. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. For those folks who are crazy and haven't listened to A Pod of Their Own yet, can you just give them like a quick... 30-second elevator pitch for what the show is? So a pot of their own is myself and Allison McCaig and Linda Surovich, and we are big Mets fans. We care a lot about the general state of the world around us, and we love to talk about how all of that intersects with baseball, and we're giant nerds, and we have big feelings, and we love Pete Alonzo. That's sort of the <laughs> beginning and end Um and middle of what we do over at a pot of their own. So check it out. You're being a little bit modest. They have some really important conversations on their show. I think it's one of the most intelligent and one of the most uh, thoughtful podcasts of any kind I listen to, let alone baseball podcasts. So everybody check them out Wednesday mornings at Amazing Avenue. Do that, do that, do that. Um, so anyway, we have not um, we have not really had a, a podcast based on the major league team since this losing streak was snapped on Sunday night, but really since like the middle of the losing streak. So for those that have a short memory, and God bless you, we should all have short memories when it comes to the Mets. The Mets lost seven straight games last week. They looked pretty pathetic in doing so, specifically when the bull- with the bullpen. And it was just a really disheartening time to be a Mets fan. You know, this whole season's been so up and down, but this past week was probably the lowest point both on and off the field. So Maggie on a scale of like, you know, quietly hopeful to optimistic to um, you know, totally throwing in the towel. What do you feel about the Mets this week? Where are you where do you feel about them on this season? Are you do you have any hope left? I guess is the short version of what I'm asking. I mean, there's always there's always some hope, Brian, deep down. I mean, but like, really, I kind of haven't been so much hoping or feeling optimistic in a while. It's just sort of like I know that there's that 2015 chance every once in a while that it's just going to surprise me. But this was a week when it was really easy to decide not to watch the game, and that's kind of sad, just in and of itself. Like that should never be like. Oh, I'm not going to watch the game tonight. Like that should never just be the natural response. But this week it was. And for the foreseeable future, it's, it's, you know, kind of shaky whether I want to watch or not. And I mean, there's plenty of other stuff to do, but I kind of wish I didn't want to do it. So that's sort of where I am right now. That That's fair. I think that what made the last week especially tough was that for a few of the games, and this has been their story all season, they're looking fine. They have a small lead. They're a run behind. They're tied. And then the bullpen comes in, and it just gets ugly very quickly. And there seems to be no way for them to stop the bleeding once the bullpen starts to let in a run or two. It's never just one run. You know, It's always it always then snowballs into something so much bigger and so much uglier. And I know... It can be really disheartening when you are trying to write about a team specifically 
and you have to find things to talk about and you just don't want to talk about the terribly depressing stuff that you're watching every single night. And, you know, there are still some really, really high spots on this team. You know, we have Pete Alonso, you mentioned it before, you know, all-time National League rookie record for home runs before the All-Star break. We have Jeff McNeil, who's hitting over 350. I mean, damn it, that's that's so cool and so unusual and so rare. It's great. Conforto's having a good year. You know, DeGrom is starting to put together numbers that look more like what we're expecting of him. They just, you know, Frazier is surprising. Rosario is hitting a little bit. We're just, there. there is still some good stuff on this team. But when the bullpen is this bad, I find it very hard to feel confident about any game. I mean, the only, like, tiny silver lining to the bullpen being this bad is that you know deep down they aren't actually this bad. Like, their, their, their baseline talent level is not below 90% of their saves. Like it's, they're bad. Don't get me wrong, but you're sitting through, you know, a, I mean, how many games in a row did they blow four or five, but you're sitting through those who think, well, eventually they're going to not blow a game. And that feels kind of nice, which also I am aware that all of this is incredibly pathetic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and you know, coming back to like what you were saying about writing about the team, I mean, what's kind of a bummer is that, when they've been bad, it's bad in a really boring, predictable way. It's it's not like circus antics or or something like weird and hilarious. It's just it's just the same story day in and day out. And that's hard to get that's hard to get emotional about. It just after a while it just kind of numbs you a little bit and it's sort of like, oh look, they blew it again. Ooh. Yeah, you you can't even find like an interesting story to tell about the loss. Yeah. It's just, nope, here it is. Here it is again. Guess what uh, happened? You'll never yeah. guess. You'll never guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there somebody in the bullpen that you think has been just very unlucky, you know, or someone that, that you're thinking might be the might be the breakout star of the second half in terms of not being as bad as they've looked so far? I mean, it's it's tough because you're just you've got um I mean, I don't think Unless he really is hurt, I don't think Familia is bad is as bad as he has looked so far. Um, I realize that's not saying much because he has looked absolutely atrocious. Um, and I, you know, at the same time, like I, I really liked what I saw from Luis Avilan before they started using him like every single day and for multi inning stints at times. And I don't know if his if his elbow has recovered from that, but like. He's somebody that I could imagine surprising a little bit in the second half. But I mean, the thing is, once you get past kind of their top handful of of guys in there, it's just this this constant rotation of mediocre and garbage, just switching back (laughs) and forth between the two modes. And it's hard to kind of get excited about anybody in part just because, like, these guys aren't sticking around long enough to find out. Yeah, it's been a crazy amount of churn that the bullpen has gone through so far. And today, you know, you wrote a piece for Amazing Avenue. Uh, by the way, we recorded this on Tuesday night, night early because there's fireworks and stuff tomorrow night. And, you know, people have stuff to do. So we are uh, we're recording this a day early. But, you know, the Mets sent down four relievers, brought up three relievers, and shifted Stephen Matz to the bullpen for the first half or maybe for longer. 
Now, obviously, if Familia and Avalon and um, Justin Wilson are healthy, theoretically, those should be better than your Chris Flexons of the world. Um, what do you think about this Matt's experiment? Does this seem like a good idea to you? Does this seem terrible? Where do you stand on it? Um, it feels like it sort of came out of left field a little bit, although I guess he certainly has had his struggles. He He's not one to go deep into games. But at the same time, he hasn't even necessarily been the Mets' worst starter. So I don't know. It just it it's it's it was a little surprising to me, but I guess it it's just for a short term that they have mentioned it so far. And I, if they feel that that's um, that they can make up those starter innings with what they have, which that part also sort of like who exactly is stepping in for him in this scenario. But um, yeah, it was more just like, huh, I had, I had never thought about it that much, but it, it also, you know, it, there's some talk of, of his like ego and all this. And I don't know if he's an ego based pitcher, but it's, it's an odd choice. But at the same time, I don't trust Mickey Calloway with a ton but I do sort of feel like this might be the kind of thing that would carry over fairly well from his previous position as pitching coach in which he excelled. So I may just suspend judgment for the time being and sort of watch how this goes, which again, my, my reaction also kind of comes from what I was saying earlier about being kind of numbed by all this. So the idea of like, jerking around pitchers who are pitching very badly like that all feels very like normal more of the same hard to (laughs) kind of get worked up about it yeah I think that there's some logic to it uh if you know the bullpen is very very bad right and so you you want to find a way to fix that in the short term because they are staying in games you know right now they're down two nothing to the Yankees but Yankees are an incredible offensive team, but if you're limiting them to two runs, that's that's not so terrible, you know, so you want to stay in the game, so I get that part of it. I also think that two of the five starters are probably destined for the trading block, and that's tonight's starter, Zach Wheeler, and also Jason Vargas, so you want to showcase them as starters. It doesn't really benefit you to show them in relief, so that's why you're not going to move those guys to the bullpen. Syndergaard is just coming off the DL, or the IL, rather, and I got to get used to saying that. And, um, you know, they want to make sure that he is healthy. And when healthy, he is one of the better pitchers in baseball. So you don't want to demote him. And Jacob deGrom is your reigning Cy Young Award winner. One of your three all-star players. You can't put him in the bullpen. So if you're looking to put somebody in the bullpen, I guess it makes sense that it's Mets. I also think that if the Mets are going into this offseason looking to replace Zach Wheeler and possibly replace... um, you know, and possibly add another starting pitcher, maybe they think that Mats could be shifted to the bullpen and be effective out of there because they certainly need help in the bullpen as well. Uh, but I don't see Mats's stuff really playing up. I mean, everyone's stuff plays up a little bit in the bullpen, but I don't think his pitch repertoire is really what I would want out of a bull, out of a bullpen arm. What about you? I mean, it's, it's also a little, I mean, in terms of how he personally fits into the bullpen. It's also kind of odd that this is coming exactly when two other left-handed pitchers are, are activated and Avilan and, and Wilson. So it's, it's, it's not like, 
It's not like they all of a sudden are finding themselves without a lefty, which they have a situation they've been in for a very long time. I don't know. Um, him, his stuff playing up in the bullpens. Yeah, I, I mean, it's. I'm sure he will be somewhat better. But again, I just feel like you're you're kind of doing a robbing Peter to pay Paul situation. Exactly. And I just I look at the way this team is constructed and like, am am I right in assuming that Walker Lockett is going to like be taking a start at some point soon? Because it sort of feels that way. Well, they said um, that today they don't need a fifth starter for quote quite some time. Which they do finally have some some days off coming up, which they've gone through two streaks um, of 18 or more games in a row already this season. So, God willing, they should have plenty of off days for the foreseeable future. But it's, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the calendar now and certainly seems like probably the 20th or 21st would be the first day that they would need to bring in somebody. So that's, you know, it gives you not quite three weeks. So uh, probably enough time to get a sense of if Matt's is actually an upgrade in the bullpen or not. But yeah, I just, I would really like to not see Walker Lockett pitch more games, but I have a feeling I'm gonna. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's the other thing. Even if, if Matt's goes to the bullpen and suddenly becomes goose gossage in there, who's going to start games for you? I don't, well, and, I, don't, and, I, don't, I don't think it benefits the team to do that. Yeah, and starting pitching, I mean, from the very beginning has been, an inc- like, obviously not a bad position in the sense of how the bullpen has just, like, endless bad players. They just almost don't have any starters at all. Like, no, all their starters their are five yeah. and then nothing all the way down. Yeah, and the the, the guys they do have are all just bullpen arms that they're throwing out there. And yeah, it's I, a it's a weird situation. It's really rough. So, I mean, if Matt does go to the bullpen and is magnificent, does that change you, you trading two starters? I don't think so because, to me, this season is probably lost at this point. So you should still trade whoever you can to build for next year. But I don't think you're going to get any you're going to get any starting pitching coming back from it. It's just an odd it's an odd thing to do and an odd time to do it. But that would not be the first time that uh the Mets did something odd that I didn't understand. So, you know, there it is. Uh let's let's talk a little bit about maybe what's going to be happening at the trade deadline we just briefly mentioned. I think it's fair to say the Mets are going to be selling. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it. Um, you know, crazy things have happened. 2015 was a season that still existed in the history books. But, I mean, I'm not putting my money on that. So, yes, I would fully be, you know, not investing in any Zach Wheeler jerseys at this point <laughs> in uh, in his Mets career. Um, I'm actually looking up the Mets game logs from 2015 to see what the Mets record was on July 2nd. Let's see. Was that one of the... Um, they were batting? 40 and 40. Well, yeah. So it's a it's a pretty different... They also... They got off to that incredible start that year. Yes. With the, the 10 and 1, 11 and 1, whatever it was. It was 
a different story than it is now. But yeah, I mean, this is a team that looks very much like sellers. They do have a couple of pieces that are easy choices to to deal away because they are pending free agents. No question about that. Um, although, again, it does put them in the position of like literally who is picking up the ball and throwing it every right. fifth day. Right. Who would you who would you say is most likely to be traded in your book? I mean, I think Wheeler, um, even if the, the team really, really screws this one up, which they always find a way to do, Wheeler will still bring back a warm body. Um, so I think he's just going to get moved because it's he's the easiest to move in some ways. Um, and then I think Todd Frazier, it, I mean, if, if they sort of, if they screw that one up too, he could even be like a player to be named later trade, but I, I don't think they have any reason to keep him around. Lord knows they have enough infielders to withstand the loss of Todd Frazier. Um, <laughs> and then I think Jason Vargas is kind of a funny situation because um, I don't think anybody thought he'd be pitching this well to this point, but the flip side of that is nobody really expects him to continue pitching this well. So in terms of just, again, just being able to field a 25-man roster, it might be better for them to keep him around. But if anyone even, if any other team so much as hints at willing to overpay for him, they should take that immediately. So those Absolutely. are kind of the top three guys that I think are just really easy to to send on their way. Would, you know, if, if all things were equal, would you try and bring back... Um... Zach Wheeler next season? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think that if he doesn't have a strong second half, he could certainly be the kind of player you might be able to get a good one-year contract on, and the Mets never met a one-year contract they didn't like. (laughs) Um, So that I could definitely see happening, but... I think in the past we've often seen a lot of GMs don't like to deal with the previous GMs material. Like not that they don't like to, but like they're less invested in it. So I would say if like Sandy Alderson were still on this team, I would say it's much more likely that he would bring back Wheeler than if it's Brody Van Wagenen because Wheeler was Alderson's guy and he's not Van Wagenen's guy. That's fair. Um, you know, I think that Wheeler is going to be one of these players that when he's off, you can tell from the minute he starts to start. Like he's just he's a player that's off. When he's on, I think he's a very exciting player and I really do like him as a member of this rotation. I just don't know if the Mets are going to be able to find a contract for him that will make him happy that won't go above their very meager means that they're willing to spend on these players. Um, I think luckily they didn't extend him because I think if they had extended him under Alderson, which I was really hoping they would have done, I think they'd be taking a beating in the press for that right now because of the season he's having right now, which is not terrible, but it's nowhere near where he was last year. Yeah, I think Wheeler is going to be an interesting free agent because I have a feeling he's going to be around the market for a while if the last couple of off seasons are any indication because, you know, at his age, 
he probably really, really wants to get a multi-year deal that's that's decent that he can like sink his teeth into. But with the injury history and kind of some up and down performances, teams, I'm guessing, will really want to kind of wait him out and try to get him down to a single year. Um, and with the Mets kind of generally being pretty quick to act, all things considered, like when they if, if they haven't signed a guy by January, they're just not going to sign anyone. <laughs> um, so that's kind of another reason I could see them ships passing in the night just not quite connecting because just the the pace of their markets i i have a feeling is not going to be aligned that's probably fair so i was i was looking at some players that were traded last season at the trade deadline to sort of give us an idea of maybe what the return might be and i think that the best case scenario for the mets if they were to trade zach wheeler would be to look at something similar to what uh kevin gossman brought last year um, I could see that, yeah. You know, they're not exactly the same pitchers, but like just for some context, before he was traded last year, Gossman was pitching to a four four three ERA. He um, an ERA plus of ninety six. You know, if you look at Wheeler so far this year, he's pitching to a four point five ERA, an ERA plus of ninety. You know, but this is also a very different offensive environment just in one year than it was last year. Um, Gossman was also traded with Darren O'Day who did have some value, although by the time he was traded last year, he was not the Darren O'Day that Mets fans regretted letting leave all those years ago. They netted uh, two top prospects and uh, a couple of sort of flyers and some international slot money uh, when they that's what they got back from Atlanta last season. Um, so you figure you shave O'Day off that, maybe you get a top 30 prospect, maybe a flyer or two, and, and some international slot money. Does that feel enough for you, for Wheeler? Yeah, and I would, I mean, it may just also be kind of early reports. The thing to always remember, and that I will often forget also, is that like when you hear, when reporters are talking about Scout saying this and rival evaluators saying that everyone is leaking. Everyone's leaking something for a reason. So if someone's saying that he's going to get a team's eighth best prospect, it's because they want everyone to, to know that or to think that. So I always try to take these things with a grain of salt based on early reports. I think a top 30 guy is probably going to be a little bit of a reach, but maybe not. And I think a lot depends kind of on how he, performs down the stretch and just if 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 the teams that need um that need starting pitching are the kinds of teams that like a guy like wheeler right so it's there's always going to be the question of the good match and you know one of the names that's been floated for for wheeler in the past is of course the yankees um but it is Funny knowing that just because the Mets are the Mets, that doesn't matter what the Yankees offer, they would never trade with them because right. to the Mets, that's a rivalry. To the Mets and only the Mets. Yeah, pretty much. The Yankees are not are, are not like tearing out their hair wondering if they should trade their players to the <laughs> Mets. That's not a <laughs> that's not a thing that happens. No, it certainly is not. Uh the other player I thought was somewhat of a uh of a comp for Wheeler was Chris Archer. And, um, you know, Archer probably is, 
has had a better career than Wheeler has up to this point. But as of where they were, sort of where he was pre-trade last year versus where Wheeler is right now, is actually relatively close. Um, and uh, Archer brought back two decent prospects and a player to be named later. So I guess that's maybe somebody to consider. I'm trying to remember if he was a... Uh, if he was a free agent, I don't think he was, right? I think he came under he contract. another year. Yeah. Uh, and then... So, and that's, you know, that's the big... That's the big that's difference. That's the big sticking point for a lot of these. And, you know, if if the Mets had been maybe a little more um, aggressive last season, that could have been something that they really cashed in on with Wheeler. But he also hadn't shown the extended success that he did show in the second half. So, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, but... Yeah, it's definitely it's it's tough when the max you can offer is is three months of a of a player. That's it's just a hard sell. It is. I mean, even Jason Vargas, not that not that you really love his his um, his team option, but the team option is there and that holds some some additional value. It does. If only because if you know, you fall in love with him for whatever reason. You know, it's there. Um, the two players for Frazier that I thought maybe would be decent comps would be Brian Dozier and Ezdrubal Cabrera, both of whom were having similar seasons when they were traded last year. Um, both were making about the same amount of money, too, that Frazier is making for this year, if that means anything at all. Uh, Dozier got two, two prospects um, that were not, top 15 top 20 prospects from the Dodgers system and also just just a veteran to replace him in the lineup which is something that you know I don't think the Mets need right now they have plenty of people who can play third base um Cabrera what did Cabrera get Franklin Colome oh yeah out of front I, I looked it up earlier okay which which is basically nothing <laughs> yeah and that was I mean that was the one of many Mets trades last the last two years, really, that um that you you'd think even as salary dumps, they would have gotten something better. And yet they didn't. So, you know, yeah. it's I, I almost like don't even I, at first I was like, oh, we can't use that comp. It's the Mets and the Mets are terrible at trading. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wait, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we definitely need that comp. <laughs> but it's the Mets and the terrible at trading. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, look. If you're looking short term, I think for next season, there's going to be nobody the Mets are going to get that is not a relief pitcher that will play for them next season. There is no top prospect that is coming over in a trade for any of these guys. It's just not going to happen. So the best you can hope for is either a bullpen piece for this year and next or somebody who is a couple years away that might be might be useful in, in some way. Um and the bullpen is so hard to predict because it's just it's such a fungible position, you know. It's it's so so hard to predict reliever, um, you know, performance from one year to the next. So, is there a type of player that you would particularly want, or are you just looking for some sort of value back from these players? Well, I I do think it, it's my feelings about this are sort of colored by the last couple seasons where the Mets brought back a bevy of upper minors relievers. And you really, I mean, 
you'd have to think that one of them would stick. And with the not with the sheer volume that they had, that one of them would be playable. And they've got nothing, nothing at all. So while my impulse is to say, you know, yes, the bullpen needs some help. Let's bring back some relievers. Like insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So maybe <laughs> they just need to, to try a different route, go with, with the younger, higher ceiling type player. I don't know. Cause I also don't feel like, you know, th- this bullpen is much more than a couple of trades away from being serviceable. Well, that's exactly my point too, is, you know, and a lot of these guys you've got for a couple of years. So if, if you stash them in the minor leagues and they start to show promise, great, awesome, bring them up. But you're not, you're not one or two pieces away from a bullpen that works. I mean, for next season, you got Diaz, you got Familia for two more seasons. You got Lugo and Gazelman. Is there anybody else that you feel even marginally confident in? I mean, I do think, if I recall correctly, Justin Wilson is signed also for next oh, year. Oh, that's true. Yes, he is. Okay. Um, I don't know how confident I feel in him, except that it doesn't matter because he's around. But no, other than that, there's there's really nobody... Nobody anywhere on that 40 man who who seems like a safe bet. You know, you've got guys like, you know, Avalon that you hope could show you something. But you can't. Those guys are always going to be available every spring training, middle of every season. You can always find a guy who once was good and hasn't been for a while or who never quite put it together. But I don't see the point, like you said, we've been trying to trade for relievers for a couple of seasons now, and there's just nothing is working. And J.D. Davis just hit a home run for the Mets. The hey. one the one trade that I feel confident about as a okay, Mets but, fan. But Brian, I have to stay on brand for a pod of their own and say, was it a solo dong or a group dong? Because it, this is important. It was a solo dong. Okay, that's fine. I appreciate it's not the preferred form of no, dong. No, but it is we'll not. Take it. I, I I have to tell you, group dong is is maybe the best thing I've heard in 2019. It's I, you know, and sometimes the great things they just spring fully formed at the most unexpected moments. And that's and that's truly a lovely thing to have happen. You know, when, when a phrase like group dong comes into your life, you just gotta embrace it and and be happy. Put it on a T-shirt, maybe. It feels like it should be a T-shirt. Hey, uh, if people want to buy group dong shirts, I will. I will certainly consider that for Amazing Avenue. <laughs> Goodness gracious, what have we become? We'd have um, to have like Pete and McNeil on the T-shirt in some form. <laughs> I feel like that would be the the foundation of it. I don't know. We'll workshop this. We've got yeah, time. Uh, we have time exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I guess. Last question before we move on to to non-baseball stuff. What's the storyline you're watching the rest of the season? Aside from from Pete and McNeil, we all know about that storyline. Is there anything else that you're looking at for the rest of the season as we as we finish out this first half that you say, you know, that's where I'm going to be keeping my focus for the next 80 games or so? I really want to see um, just more from, from Jake and Noah to some extent. Um, but, you know, I think the Mets pitching staff was really rocked by the changes to the baseball because they're so slider dependent. And 
a genius pitcher like like Jacob deGrom, he took a little bit of time to figure out his new his new way to interact with this weirdo baseball. Um, and now that he's sort of settled in, I think he's really going to turn it on. And I like, I would never not want to watch Jacob deGrom pitch. Like that's just, that is, I sold every time. Um, and I think Syndergaard to like, again, to a lesser extent, just cause he, he doesn't have the, the magic that deGrom has, but I think he is kind of slogging through a really tough time but I just don't see a guy with his stuff and his focus um, not figuring it out, which means that I think he will also be fun to watch for, for the rest of the, the rest of the season. But, you know, in general, it's just that what's one thing that's just so frustrating right now is that the core of young talent on this team is amazing. Cause it's not even just, just McNeil and Alonzo. You've also got Conforto who is, you know, he's slumping a bit now, but really putting up like near all-star numbers. Um, Rosario still sort of finding it, but when he's, when he's got it all going, he's so much fun to watch. JD Davis, like coming out of nowhere and just being great. Dom Smith, who, um, I will have a piece on how his breakout has come to be. Um, Dom Smith is like one of the better Met storylines of the season so far. Cause he's just such a likable kid who is really worked his tail off to get where he is. Um, so yeah, th- those are, those are kind of the, the, the players that are going to keep me coming back. And there will probably be more weeks where it's again, easy to just not turn on the game. Um, I've been watching parks and rec. I highly recommend that as an <laughs> alternative. Um, but like, at least, at least sometimes I will be coming back for these guys because they're, no, they're, they have kind of the joy of the game. They, they do the things that are fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, um, it's watching the outfield this season for the rest of the season, because, you know, you might see McNeil playing more third base. If Frazier does depart, um, we don't know what Nimmo's deal is yet. I don't think we're going to see too much of him. Conforto, you talked about a little bit, Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, a lot of interesting names in the outfield. And I think that depending on how the outfield plays for the rest of the season, it will really determine what the Mets are going to do this offseason with some of these players and just looking looking ahead to next year. Because, you know, next year is really, and we're not going to talk much about next year because it's July 2nd, but it's really an odd place for them to be because you have Cespedes coming back, theoretically, you have Jed Lowry theoretically, and you still have to find a place for Jeff McNeil, who's hitting 350. There's just there's a lot of interesting conversations to have for next year, and I think that the the success of guys like Dom Smith and JD Davis are going to really play into what the team's plans are for next year. So I'm excited to see what those guys do, and uh, I just want them to play decent baseball. I don't care if they lose more games than they win. I just don't want them to all be lost in the exact same predictable way. Yeah, shake it up. Yeah. Do like a like a walk off balk. That would be fun. I mean, not Ooh. fun. It would be horrible, but at least it would be interesting. Like, <laughs> like yeah. you go back into the MLB videos, to like watch it over and over again. There was was it the '08 season, the '09 season that ended with an unassisted triple play? That was '09. Okay, that I... was '09. It was a friend of mine. It was it was her 
birth no no it was her it's her fiance's birthday and her fiance was a Phillies fan so they went to see the game oh okay and she's a Mets fan so that was yeah I will always I will always remember that through her eyes that could be an interesting way to end the game yeah yeah for sure that was that was awful yeah (laughs) definitely watch that one on repeat yeah (laughs) all right so if we're talking about weird losses though i i for sure would not mind the mets getting no hit again just like for to like shake it up a little that would be that would be like a weird baseball kind of moment that would be that would be um while we're at it too some weird wins would be good as well you know absolutely i mean i would just say any wins, boring wins, exciting <laughs> wins, rain-shortened wins, extra innings wins, whatever they've got. I will I will take any win, any time. I agree with that. But I'll also say, like, you know, be nice to get a no-hitter again. Be nice to yeah, get... Yeah, that would be fun. Be nice to get some walk-off wins. Not to steal a segment from your show, but, you know, those are always fun. Um, just something different. Come on, Mets. Stop boring us. It's baseball. Make it fun. Agreed. Uh, speaking of fun, Maggie, it's time for you to recommend uh, some music for our listeners. What are you listening to lately? Okay, so um, this is a tough one for me because my musical taste is um, is very much stuck in my mid-20s, uh, which I apparently I read a long time ago that that happens to most people, but I am definitely stuck in my 20s. Uh, and then also kids' music. So I well, figured I'm not going to recommend Mr. For, Coyote here. Well, I am going to pause you for one second. What is the stuff your kids are listening to right now? Um. So, okay. Uh, my kids love uh, Dominican dance music. So especially okay. like Daddy Yankee, they are big fans of. Um, Donza Kuduro, for that matter, is is has been a big hit in our house for a long time. Um, also, Mr. Coyote and his Coyote Pups is a like legit excellent local kids band and they are on spotify so yeah that's kind of a a lot of like the elmo the thomas the tank engine and all the kind of branded kids music but but definitely always room for um daddy yankee and mr coyote (laughs) kind of two ends of that spectrum that's that's pretty amazing I, i i try to play my kids not not traditional kids music a lot just because I don't like traditional kids' music. So, you know, like my kids know a lot of Beatles songs. Um, my son is actually obsessed with Chris's band, the Los Hot Quesos. He walks around singing one of their songs in our house all the time. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm raising them right. Um, but anyway, get to, what, what is your, your real recommendation? Okay, so the um, I've sort of had a lot going on. And when I do that, I kind of try to go to like my chill out happy place kind of music and for me that is like early Ingrid Michaelson and so the album that I've been playing a lot over the last couple weeks specifically was um Be Okay which is from back from like 2008 so it is it is old school but it's just a very like very chill happy lots of like acoustic guitar but kind of upbeat very simple, very lovey. She's a very like lovey singer, and I really appreciate that. One of the tracks on this album is um, is "The Way I Am," which is actually uh, my husband and my wedding song. It was our first dance song, so it holds. Aww. It's a very like soft spot in my heart. Um, but yeah, it's just it's very without being like particularly shallow or 
kind of overproduced poppy. It's very like soothing in its way. So that's my recommendation. I know it's it's a it's an album that like I never go more than a couple months without without listening to. Okay. Check it out, folks. Uh, mm-hmm. Mine is is an old album from 1977 before I was born. Um, it's by an artist named Jonathan Richman, who many folks might know from he is the singing troubadour in There's Something About Mary. If you remember, there's a guy like walks around playing the guitar in that movie. That's Jonathan Richman. Oh, but, yeah. But he's a um, he was in like a, a proto punk band in the 70s and then quit all of that to make quiet music. He said he didn't want to make music that was too loud anymore. And so some of his stuff is very childlike. Some of it is very folky. Some of it's very funny. It's it's very, I guess, innocent is the way I'm looking at it. Like he had, the album I'm going to recommend is called Rock and Roll with the Modern Lovers. It came out in 77. And like on this album, he covers the wheels on the bus, but he also does um, sort of songs about, uh, you know, like real life things. Those are some funny songs. There's an instrumental song called Egyptian Reggae that was used to great effect in Baby Driver a few years ago. Um, that is fantastic. And it's just, it's, I really love the drummer. There's a, a jazz drummer that played with him named D Sharp, who only played with him for a few albums, but I love his drumming so, so much. And, uh, I just got a record player for my birthday. I, I had been a few years without one, and so I'm actually trying to track down a copy of this on vinyl to play for my kids around the house because I think they're going to love it as well. And uh, he just makes me happy, and uh, it's good to have music that makes you happy. Definitely, especially when your alternative media intake is the Mets. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> that is very, very true. Maggie, where can folks find you on the internet? Uh, I'm at maggie 162 and you can also find all of us uh, from the other side at a pot of their own. <laughs> yes. And speaking of the other side, next week we are doing a podcast shakeup for the All-Star Week. We're going to be having people uh, jumping in on other shows, guesting, doing some different stuff. So we don't crossover. Quite... Yeah, a little crossover special for the All-Star break. So you'll be hearing some some different voices next week, and that'll be really fun. So um, I'm on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. Go to AmazingAvenue.com. Follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, check out this show, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Anywhere there are podcasts, you'll more or less find us. And until next time, let's go Mets.